before Pat comes, you needn't turn to these scriptures, but I'm going to read three verses of scripture, and they're verses that we have been thinking much about this evening together, and there are three questions, and I want you as you, as this meeting progresses, I want you to think of these three questions from the Word of God. And the first one is in Numbers chapter 23, and it's in verse 10. It shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? What hath God wrought. The second one is in Ruth chapter 2, and it's in verse 10, and it's Pat's verse. Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And the last one is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. And it's for all of us tonight. Where art thou? And as this testimony and as we conclude our meeting tonight, I want you to think, where are you in relation to these things? Now, just to introduce Pat, I know, I've known Pat from she was a child. I never knew a time I didn't know her or she didn't know me. Her father was a hairdresser and cobbler and all sorts of things. And if ever I was a child, I was in his shop, lifted up into the chair to get my hair cut. And all through those years, and many times Pat's mother brought me in and made me tea. And many times through the years we knew one another. But never in our wildest dreams ever thought from the two extremes of our society that we would ever be in the union we were. It started on a wet winter's, winter's day. I was driving a lorry for my father full of 10-gallon cans of milk. It was a wet day. A wet day in Fermanagh is a wet day. Could be three wet days and it could be four. And it rained all day and I got on double wheels at the back of the lorry, I got a puncture in one and as soon as the one blew, the other blew. And she went down onto the axle. Now, God is in every detail. We heard that this morning so powerfully preached by our brother David. I cursed, I had a terrible foul tongue. And I cursed the lorry and I cursed God and I cursed everybody I could think of. Had to get help and get the milk off and into the creamery. Left the wheel in the creamy garage and walked down the town into the mess supermarket. And was standing talking to the owner and Pat walked in through the door. And I asked her, would you give me a lift up? I knew she was going up to her home in her mother's car past the garage. And I asked her, would she give me a lift up? And she said she would. Whether she regretted it or not, I don't know. <laughs> but she said she would, and she did. And I let her tell you what happened then. All right. Yes. Yes. That's quite an introduction, isn't it? Well, sometimes I'm, I'm probably known as Bertie's wife, but I'm Pat. And it's nice to see you all this evening here. Some familiar faces and some faces we haven't seen for a wee while and some surprises here tonight so uh, I'll talk to you afterwards well he has set the scene yes we knew each other from children and uh, 
that was it. But I was born into a Catholic home. And I'm not ashamed of that this evening. I thank God for the parents that he gave me, for the things that they taught me, and for the love that they showed us. There had been seven children, but three had died very, very suddenly. Three little coffins went out of our home one morning. My father carried three coffins out with a wee boy of four, a boy of two and a half, and a little girl of three weeks. So that was a, quite a, 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 a sad affair, wasn't it? So then I came after that, and that brought life back into the home again. But anyway, in this home, I, all the Catholic religion was taught and adhered to. And uh, my mother was a very devout Catholic, and she really did pray and trust in that faith. However, my uh, memories were of Mass. Mass was a must on a Sunday, but in our house we went to Mass every day, every morning at half past eight. The chapel wasn't far from our home, right enough, but that was part of the routine. Went to Mass fasting. You didn't get your breakfast and you didn't get it when you got home either. You just went up to school then. My mother was a principal teacher of a country school. And uh, she, she filled a wee van of us all and carried us up the country roads away up into the hills of, of Fermanagh to, to educate us. Now our focus, my focus would have been mainly on, on Mary, the mother of Christ. Yes, we had heard about Jesus and we, I knew about Jesus and knew that he was born at Christmas or we celebrated his birth at Christmas. And uh, I knew then that he, he died. I knew that he had been a very special person, that he died on a cross, and that he was resurrected on the third day. But there was nothing more than that. It was just information that went into my head and nothing else. We had rosary beads. We had statues. We had candles. Every evening, around 7 o'clock, my mother would gather us round lit the two candles on either side of the Virgin Mary and we took our rosary beads and we prayed that rosary given over to Mary. After that then there was a litany of beautiful words given over to her and we thought my mother would never stop many a time. But however, the, those, those were the things. Now did God and his son have any meaning in my life? I would say no. Because of the other things that took over like the the Virgin Mary, the saints, the, the other saints, the other things in the church and in the chapel. Did I know about sin? Yes, I did, because I had to go to confession to, 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 to confess it. I took Holy Communion. Did I really know what that was, that it was the blood of Jesus Christ? Not really. All of these things were packed into a little girl's head, and it was all religion, and it was all information, but there was nothing really after that, nothing at all. Then, um, how was I to be rescued? How was I to hear about the Lord Jesus? Never was there a mission in our hometown. Came from the little town of Derry Gonley in Fermanagh, if you know, at the other side of Enniskillen. And now our door was never knocked at any time with an invitation to a mission. It was never knocked with a, a tract. We escaped all that. I don't know whether people at any time did that. I know it's been done since. But in those days, there was no uh, outreach. There was nobody that came to that home to tell us about a mission or to tell us about the Lord Jesus. So how was I to hear? How was I to know that there was a saviour that could save me, that there was somebody, there was good news that I hadn't heard. Well, God had a plan, and God has a plan tonight, hallelujah, for your life and for mine. I was in my mid-twenties when I met Bertie, and that was nothing short of an un unholy alliance. It was an unholy alliance. <laughs> it was unacceptable. There were no grounds to work on. Bertie had no religion. He had no church, and he just lived life to the full. And that was it. But he found in me a religious freak. That's what he said. 
uh, having to attend every mass and everything, everything in the church. And uh, well, I convinced him that he was missing out badly, that um, he needed in this person, in this body of ours, there's a vacuum that only God can fill. Well, God had filled mine with Catholicism, but he had filled his with nothing. So that his was still empty. So I wanted, I told him that it needed to be filled. And of course, I was producing my theories before him. And then that led to questions. And he would question me about, what, about the Mass and about the confession and why did I need to go? And I gave him the answers as best I could. But when I would go home, I realized that there was more. And I realized too that I was being questioned about my religion and I wasn't able really to answer. I was just like a wee robot, going to mass, going to confession, going to communion, coming home, doing the rosary, and every week and every week. And it was meaning very little. And why was I doing it? So the best thing to find out in this situation was to go and get help. Now, I didn't go to my local priest in Derry Gonley, but I went to the monastery just about seven miles from our home. It was called the Gran, and it was run by the Jesuits. And they were really special men, men of God that I believed then, and men that uh, were... We were, we were respectful of them and fearful of them because we knew that they were special. So I went to the, uh, the, the monastery this day and I decided this really was my problem. I needed to find out things for me, not mention Bertie at all. So I was received by a, a Jesuit, a priest, and he, I t- told him these things. And then he said to me, oh, he said that's... That's nothing. Young people often go through times of questioning and so on. He said, I'll give you a book. Just go home and read this book and it'll answer all those questions. And I was quite relieved because I was, I was really afraid going in, you know, that he would devour me. But uh, the book anyway wasn't even there. He said, oh, I give it to somebody. Uh, you have to come back in about three weeks, pick up the book and read it. So you see, I thought, well, that, that's all right. That gets me out of it. And I go over to the door to come out, and I turned around, and for some reason I said, you know, I'm, I'm going out with somebody who's not a Catholic. And it's because of his questions that I'm here tonight. He's, he's questioning. So he, he said, I think we'll come back to the table and sit down. So back to the table we went, and by that time, Bertie and I had been going out about a year. And he, he had gathered from that that he was the one that was really interested, and I was the stumbling block. He said, why did you not get him here? If he's asking all those questions, you should have brought him here. And so the answer was, get him here, and I'd instruct him. So I thought, well, I didn't know how that would pan out, or if I suggested that. But anyway, I'm going to take you now to Sunday the 31st of May, 1970. It found us on the road going to Bundorn. Now, Bundorn was not a, not a strange place to us. Bundorn was our, uh, our nearest beach. And uh, we played there. We went there as children. And then we grew up and we went, kept going there because we, there were tel- hotels and bars and, and the dance hall, the biggest story of ballroom. So um, we were heading to this hotel. The night was planned out for us. And then we were going to the dance it was Sunday. Why would I go to a dance on Sunday? Well, I hadn't been told that it was a, it was a sin. I'd been to Mass. As long as I'd been to Mass, it was, everything was okay. You could even put a, a bet on a horse. It was all right if you didn't go overboard. Everything was all right to a measure in the church. Anyway, here we are. Um, when we arrived at the hotel, there was a little notice on the door, just closed. Very unusual. Very, very unusual. Here's the first question. Now what? What do you do? Well, we go for a walk, go for a drive, uh, have a bag of chips somewhere. But this is what came out of my mouth. Bertie, you take me to church. Now, what a clangor that was. Bertie didn't go to church. 
I knew that. So what did I want him, or how did I think he could take me to church? And um, you notice that I didn't say chapel, so he knew fine rightly it was church, it was a Protestant church. I don't know where it came from, other than I know it came from the Lord. It had to be. The Holy Spirit was there. But take me to church. Well, I realized the futility of it. There was no, nobody came with invitations. There was nobody on the street doing an open air that made me think, oh, there's a church. We, Bertie tried to convince me that there wouldn't be a church. He said, Bondorn is 99.5% Roman Catholic. How would you find, you wouldn't find a church here. So I said, well, we, there must be a church somewhere. And I'm getting out to look. And as most women do, they just don't let the men overrule. They, I got out and walked up. And, you know, there we, had a, we wouldn't have walked 10 steps. And there was a Methodist church. And we weren't, we weren't to miss it because at, on the railings, there was this bright green fluorescent paper. And it was announcing that the IEB, the Irish Evangelistic Band, were having their Whitson Convention. So I didn't know really what that was, but I sort of thought this looked like a church. I looked round, because he was kind of behind me, and I looked at us, and he just went, like, yeah, maybe. So took my first step, and then I went. There was this urgency. What was this urgency to go to church? Now where? The Methodist Church, this little Methodist Church. The speaker was the Reverend Sidney Martin. Where had this notion come from? It was still God's plan. God's plan is beginning to unfold a little further. They were singing. Now, I went, when I went in, there was a back seat. You know, I still love the back seat, don't you? But there was, fortunately, there was a back seat. I wondered, you know, often when the people, when the pastor, the minister looked down and maybe, maybe some other man, and he looked and he saw, oh my word, those two. Well, Bertie was in blue suede shoes. He had a, a greenish uh, khaki kind of suit, drainpipe trousers. Those cut right back, no hair. And I was in a, a corduroy Lee Cooper <coughs> miniskirt with the big thick heels and the bright buckles. And here we were in the back seat. Would that have put him off, I wonder? Would, or would he have thought, oh my, how am I going to get around these pair? Who are they? We certainly didn't blend in so well, but here we are in this little church. And they were singing. Of course, I didn't know what they were singing. And a wee bit of fear came on me. I thought, I'll be excommunicated if anybody knows that I've been in church. This is a Protestant church, and I thought there'd be a spell put on me, there'd be curses put on me. But that was taken away. And then, you know, I settled down and I looked around, and I thought... This church was, it had blue paint, it had just chairs and our, our seats and a pulpit. Where was the religious things? I mean, I came from statues, uh, incense, candles, beauty, uh, stations of the cross. There wasn't anything holy here. So I thought, you know, no wonder he doesn't go to church. Like, what would bring you here? There's nothing here would draw you. So you can see that I'm looking for the outward signs of religion. But they weren't there. Now, the, the minister got up, the Reverend Sidney Martin, he'd come from Scotland, and he most likely read the scriptures, I know, but I don't remember what they were, and I'm sure Bertie doesn't either. But just during his sermon, no, at no time, at no time, and we were at the back seat and we could have just slipped out. There was nobody barred the door. There was nobody standing in front of it. We could have walked out. But for some reason, even though I didn't understand, or I didn't hear the singing, I didn't know anything, I sat there. And um, the minister started to speak about his, his message. But in his message, I don't know how far, he stopped. And he said, you know, I want to tell you how I had the joy of leading a Roman Catholic girl to the Lord, just before coming to this convention. And the two words that I understood were Roman Catholic. And I thought, oh, I wonder what he's going to say. 
thinking that he was going to say something. And he moved out right over to my side. And he says, let me tell you about her. We'll just call her Mary. He said, Mary worked with a girl who was a Christian. And he said, she just opened up her heart one day and she said, you know, I, I, I just don't feel I'm, I'm, I'm not all that happy and I don't know what's wrong with me. And uh, bit by bit, this girl had shared with her over, over weeks or the time she'd worked with her about the Lord and she'd seen something in her life. So anyway, this girl said to her, would you like to come and talk to my minister? And she said, she was a wee bit hesitant. She says, Mary, uh, you know, he'll not embarrass you and he'll not intimidate you in any way and he'll not, he'll not ask you to leave your church. Just talk to him. So she agreed. And off she went to his manse in Scotland. And when she came that day, she had nothing with her. Just when she went in, she was very nervous. And he said, Mary, he said, just relax. Just tell me what, what you know about, about Jesus. Tell me what you know. And Mary thought, well, he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And he grew up to be a very special man. And he healed the sick and the blind, done such good work. And he had 12 disciples and a bit of that. And then, and then he went, he died on a cross. And on the third day, he rose again. And, and, and that, yes, that was it. And it was nearly just the same as I would have said. He said, that's, that's good, Mary. And he said, Mary, in the scripture says, all our uh, good works, the good works that Mary had done, the masses she went to, went to the praying she had done, the, the scripture says they're like filthy rags. They're like filthy rags. And he explained to Mary that it's not by works of righteousness. It wasn't by, by working. This, this great sacrifice had been offered at Calvary. The cross where she had left, finished about the cross and the resurrection. He said, Mary, do you know why Jesus went to the cross? And she, she hesitated and she didn't really answer. And he said, he went for you and he went for me. He died for you and he died. He was your substitute. And Mary, for the first time, heard the gospel, heard the gospel that, that she needed a saviour, that her sins, and she couldn't re remove them by, by, by works because Christ had already done that. On the cross, he had taken her pain, her shame. So the work was done by Jesus on the cross, just believe and receive. And this was the first time that I had been told in a language that I understood that I was a sinner. I realized that even though I've been to confession hundreds of times, yet and all, here I am tonight, I'm still a sinner. And I can't, even though I, he, the priest forgiven me, but I need God's forgiveness because he has done it already for me. So the gospel, the good news was for the whosoever. That night, as Mary talked to that uh, minister, he explained to her the way of the cross he explained to her about her sin. He explained to her about not by works. And she opened up her heart and gave her heart to the Lord and prayed the sinner's prayer. And you know, I never heard the rest of the sermon. I never remember shaking Mr. Martin's hand going out the door. But just going across the street to the hotel, which would now be open, I reached Bertie's hand and I said, no, not tonight. And he looked at me again in amazement and he said, I said, not tonight. I've never felt so near God in all my life. Just take me home. What was God doing to a Catholic girl? Well, God, had, God was waiting for me in that church. God was drawing me from, well, he knew about me. He knit me in my mother's womb. And this was... Not a surprise to him. He was drawing this individual. That night, I came back into the flat that I lived in. And I, I barely just left because the whole evening was topsy-turvy. Who would have thought that he would have been in church? Who would have thought that I'd have been in a Protestant church? This whole evening was, was upside down. But that night, when I got back into, the, into my flat, 
I got on my knees. I didn't have my rosary beads. I didn't need my prayer book. I just said, Lord, what I heard tonight was amazing. But Lord, would you do for me what you've done for Mary in Scotland? Just give me what you gave her. You see, I didn't know the word saved. I didn't know born again. I didn't know redeemed. That's all I could say. Give me what you gave Mary. And hallelujah, I got it. Praise the Lord. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. By faith, receive the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. A home reserved for me in heaven. From darkness into light. I was thinking of that um, we hymn tonight. Once I was in darkness. Because now my eyes can see. I was lost, but Jesus found me. Oh, what love he offers. Oh, what peace he gives. I would sing forevermore he lives. Hallelujah. Conversion. It was a wonderful night when God stepped in after Brundorn and saved our souls. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that couldn't satisfy, but then I heard my Saviour speaking, draw from my well. You see, a new world had opened up for me. It wasn't just the end of it that night. It's been ongoing for 53 years. That who, that's who has sustained us, that who has led us, that who has kept us. He has guided us every step of the way. Every step is getting brighter. And so we don't know, uh, none of us know how long we have, but we certainly have had our three score years and ten. And that's all you need to know. But there's been a few more added on as well. And we're still here. And we better hand over to the boss now and tell you, let him finish off. But that night in Bundorn, that uh, drawing power of the Holy Spirit, bringing us there, taking us, hearing that word, coming back home and making that commitment. By faith, did I know what I was doing? Little I didn't know, but I knew that I wanted what Mary got and I got it. I wonder about you tonight. I hope you receive. I hope you take Jesus tonight as your saviour. He's the best friend. It'll be the best decision you'll have ever made. Trust me, it's good. Amen. <clears throat> say without a doubt tonight that that morning she brought me up to the garage in the car I fell in love with her and I couldn't love her any more than I do tonight I couldn't have got a better wife she paid a price she was put out of home she was disowned there were things said and things done. And her sister on one occasion came to her and asked her, would you come and visit her mother? And she said, no, if I come, Bertie comes too. So she didn't go. That's the faithful wife that I have and who stood by me through thick and thin, down through the years. What has God wrought? I dropped her in Enniskillen in the nurse's flat that night in an old ramshackle of a car, drove 10 miles back out to my mother's house on the banks of the Erne. A good, strong lad could throw a stone from the front door and hit the lake. I used to be kept awake at nights with the ducks on a moonlight night in the bay. Boy, they created some noise. 
Sometimes cars, there's a road between the lake and the house. And the old Volkswagen Beetle were many of them about Donegal and they used to let a whiz out of them coming round the corner. There was a sharp corner. They often kept me awake. But none of those things kept me awake that night. I didn't know what kept me awake. It was nothing I heard in the meeting. There was no scripture text or I didn't know any. But all my past came up before me. I was in a house and a farm of land round it where you could count six islands on Lower Lahairn, worth a couple of million pounds a few years ago. My father sold it to pay the debt. And all they were left with was the house to live in. My life was in a mess. Drinking, smashing cars, wrecking, spending money that I hadn't got. And I can honestly say that that occasion that Pat brought me up for the lorry, my life was a total mess. My father owned one mile of shoreland on Lower Loch Erne. And I used to spend days in it, depressed. Times often wondering, would I end my life? No money, no home, no education, no job, no friends. Been in England back and forward twice. Wrote a little book called The Modern Prodigal, and that's the only way I could explain my coming home. Gathered up money now and again for occasions like that Sunday evening. Hadn't a thought of God. Used to curse the open air preachers. And I couldn't sleep that night. I walked the floor of that farmhouse. And I remembered suddenly an uncle of mine who lived eight miles away. A brother of my mother's. Whose house I had passed regularly with a lorry or a car. But never was in it. And the reason why I knew that he was a man of God. Any time he came to the house, if I could have got away, before he seen him, I would have been away. I jumped hedges and everything to get out of his road. He used to say to me and my father, if you don't stop drinking and gambling. I saw my father on one occasion with a deck of cards, cutting him and losing the best cow he had at the place. He says, if you don't stop drinking and gambling, you'll lose your farm and you'll lose your soul. And boy, any time you met that man, but he was a man of prayer and he prayed us into the kingdom. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And thank God for praying men and women, fathers and mothers and uncles and aunts, keep praying for your children. That was a man of prayer. I buried him in 1980. And I can honestly say, and I've traveled far and near, and I never knew as godly a man as him. But I wasn't bringing some of the old friends now from the pub and the gambling schools. That night, I got his phone number out of the book and I rang him. At one o'clock on the Monday morning. I said, I've been to a meeting in Bundorn tonight. I come home, I can't sleep, and I don't know what's wrong with me. 
He said, you'll be all right, go back to bed. He didn't know whether I was fooling. He didn't, he, he would have, I could have been at anything as far as he was concerned. He says, go back to bed and you'll go to sleep and I'll come down in the morning. I went back to bed, but I didn't sleep very much. My whole past came up before me. Farm of land gone. No money, no home, no food, no, 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 no home, no job, no education. No friends. The things I'd done, the things I'd said, the people I'd hurt, the life that I'd lived. My friend, I didn't know, but that was conviction of sin. I didn't know at that time. My mother was a Methodist and brought me to the Methodist, good people as they were. My father belonged to the Cooneyites. And I went there sometime. Neither the Cooneyites or the Methodists had any answer for me. Pat was dark in Catholicism. I was dark as the night. He says, I'll come down to see you in the morning, remember? The last day of May in 1970. I can see him yet. With a pair of Wellington boots on him and a Bible sticking out of his pocket. He came into the house about 10 o'clock and he called me out from my mother. My mother was in the house. And put me into his car and he, we drove the eight miles to his house. I wasn't cursing him. He was one of the ones I used to curse in open air. I wasn't cursing him. I wasn't mocking him. I wasn't trying to get away from him. I was sitting like a lamb. And drove me to his farmhouse, brought me in. I don't think he spoke. Thumbed his big farming hands through the Bible, First John 1 and verse 7. He says, your troubles not drink. Boy, I was caught in the drink. I, I, was, I never knew a time I didn't drink. I never knew a time. There was always bottles with drops in the bottom of our house. Never knew a time I didn't smoke when I was five years of old, age or four. My father bought me a wee pipe with a hole in the top of them. He had men working with him that smoked cigarettes. There was no filter tips on them. They used to put the butt of the cigarette into the wee pipe and I would smoke. Never knew a time I didn't curse. I had a foul tongue. I'm telling you this now just to let you know that God can save sinners. There was a fellow, a farmer lived beside us and he had a man working for him and he used to teach me courses. You, that's incredible. And when I'd come home from school in the evening he would say to me, do, do you remember the courses I taught you yesterday? And he brought me and he opened the Bible at 1 John 1 and 7 and read these words. If we confess our sins, he says, your problem is not drink, it's not tobacco, it's not the way of life you've led, it's not the things you've done, your problem is sin. And that's the first time I heard that I was a sinner. And he went on and he read that verse in 1 7 the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And he stopped and he said, Do you see that? He says, E T H cleanseth. He says, That's continual cleansing from all sin. And he says, You can be delivered from your sin now. If you ask the Lord to save your soul. And he turned around and he got down on his knees with the Wellington boots on him. And he pulled the old hat off his head. And he prayed. And I can remember what he prayed.
says, Lord, deliver Bertie. My friend, this is real now. Don't you tell me that we could concoct something like this tonight. If I would have told somebody that morning that I was going to a meeting in Bundoorn and I was taking a Roman Catholic girl with me, I would have fled from that place. For I would have said somebody told them that we were coming. And God knew that I was skeptical and I questioned a lot of things. And God knew that I would do that. But I knew that when I went into that meeting and and I came out of that meeting and she caught my hand in the middle of the street. In fact, we stood in it not so long ago in the middle of the street going over to the Hollywood Hotel and never was near God in my life. I knew that night that God had to be a God in this. Because nobody could have known Absolutely nobody, only the two of us. We didn't know ten minutes, maybe five minutes before we were in. Because God closed every gap. Sovereignty of God again, David. And I walked out from the presence of that man. Out into the farmyard, lovely May, last day of May. After 11 o'clock in the morning, I said, Lord, Lord, if what this man saying is right, and there's something better in life than this, I want it. I didn't jump into the air. There was no electric shock. But I can tell you that morning after 11 o'clock that Monday morning, that standing on that farmyard, I passed from death unto life. My sins were washed away. How, how did you know? People say, how did you know? My friend, I had no bother knowing. Don't you tell me tonight that you don't know whether you're saved or whether you're not. It's a nonsense. It's the same as from darkness into light, from death unto life. So the same as going out of the graveyard and meeting a man walking. Death, life, darkness, light. Don't you tell me that you don't know. How did I know? I, I, do you know I lost about a quarter of my vocabulary that morning? It wasn't a curse came out of my heart. I lost the desire for the drink. For the tobacco. I didn't want to go to the dance or to the disco. I didn't want to go back to Bundorn. You know where I wanted to go? I wanted to go to a meeting. And so I didn't know what happened to Pat. Because I remember that morning thinking, what will Pat say when she hears this? Because they all knew my uncle Billy Spence. They all knew, called him sort of a mad fanatic. When she hears that I've been up with him, That'll be the end of it. And by me, I can tell you I was in love with her. And I said, what's going to happen? But my friend, I knew that morning that God had come into my life in a mighty way. And I've never doubted one day in 53 years my salvation, not once. Not once. Mighty, mighty transaction of grace. I didn't know what Pat told you. I didn't know she got down at her knees at her bedside and put the rosaries and the novenas. I'd been going to the chapel with her. I'd been asking her what this is for and what's that for and what's that what does she do this for and what does she say in the confession box? I, I was going to chapel with her. There we were. 
There she was, there I was. And that evening, that evening, she came to the house where my uncle was and told us what had happened the night before. Twelve o'clock, before twelve o'clock midnight on the Sunday night, she was saved. Before twelve o'clock on the Monday morning, I was saved. And we started out on the road of life together. Sammy Workman said when he got saved he hadn't two brown pennies or we hadn't one. Thank God I hadn't been in any criminality. This side of the border anyway. So I applied for the police and they took me on. I need to be careful what I say. I see a few policemen here tonight. They took me on the police. It wasn't hard to get on in 1970. If you could have walked at all, you'd have nearly got on. <laughs> three and a half years. Over three and a half years. I was promoted to the rank of sergeant. And I used to go up the street. I went to Ballymena for a short while. I was most of me 11 years in the CAD. I used to go up the street of Ballymena with the stripes on and pull the sleeve round like this so that everybody could see the stripes. Boy, I was some fella. Then I went to Derry. There's a man here tonight and his wife. We worked in Strand Road for eight weeks, every week, there was someone killed and shot or murdered on the west bank of the foil. On the west bank there, over the bridge, and there was only one bridge out. And I lost count of the men that were shot and killed and wounded in that city. That was when policemen were policemen. And when troubles were troubles. But we were prone to forget in Lurgan. I was in Lurgan and there was only myself and a sergeant left out of a section of six men that were all killed. But I'm saying that to tell you this. Wives. This woman. Another woman. Eileen down there. These women stood behind us in those days. And I loved every minute of my service on the police. I can say that. And I had no intention. I had a lovely home in Rich Hill. And I can say this honestly, and William here will back this out. I had a thousand pound a month in 1980. Now you count that up today. And I loved every moment of it. And I was heading on to go places. God pulled the reins. You see, I'm finished now anyway. You see, in the past months, we've been bringing men to this pulpit to tell the young people that God can save, but God can call, and God can, we can know the will of God for our lives. And I was in Armagh, in the height of the troubles. One Sunday night I went down into the Baptist church when things were quiet just across the road. And I was sitting in the, in the Baptist church and the pastor Jimmy Armstrong read from Mark 11. And he read about the colt that was tied at two ways and until it was loosed it was no use for the Lord's service. And God spoke to me, he says, you're tied. You love your job, you have a lovely home, you have two girls, but you're tied and I want you. 
I had never preached. I'd give me testimony here and there. And I fought against that call. And things went on and it carried on and on and on. And then again, in another place, in another situation, the same word come. You're tied. I want to lose you for service. I said, Lord, I'm not going. I don't know where it is. I don't know where it was or what. And then we, months went by and the love for the job and the love for the money and the prestige and all that went with it dried up. All dried up. I said, Lord, what's happening? He says, I want you to resign. And I want you to step out. And the third time it came to me, God said, this is the last time now, the cult. So I went to the authorities and I told them that I was leaving. Where are you going? Don't know. What are you going to do? Don't know. What are you going to live in? Don't know. And they brought me up to headquarters and they said to me in headquarters, listen, if whatever you're doing or wherever you're going doesn't work out in two years, I, we'll take you back and give you a rank back. I was talking to an assistant chief constable the other day and he said that was a very, very unique thing for them to do. I resigned. When I'd all tied up at a hundred pound, at two girls at school, at primary school, Pat had no job. We had no income. I sold my house, moved into a smaller house, got a portable hall, went to Fermanagh, and preached the gospel. God began to bless and save and move. In 1988, I came to the corner to do a mission for three weeks. That's all. My friend, I could tell you something tonight of the faithfulness and of the goodness of my God in providing every need for us in so many different ways, calling us out of darkness into light, can Catholic and Protestant live together? Sure they can. All of Pat's family is gone, every one of them. She's only one left. God has been good to us. I tell you, he's been good to us. No, we sing over oh, a thousand tongues to sing. Our Redeemer's praise, about 10 million of them, and sing them to his glory, to see him leading and guiding in mind you. There's been trials, and there's been troubles, and there's been affliction, and there's been death threats, and there's been everything else on us, but glory be to God. He can't, he'll not take us until the job is done. And it's not done yet. And I look around this congregation tonight to see souls that were saved. Every time I walk in here and see this place filled with people and young people, I say, thank God for the day you called me. I never had any intention of doing more than three weeks up at that corner. But I was led by the Spirit. But I could not have done it without this gracious wife of mine. Close, close with this. In 2002, 2001 and 2002, I did two missions in Scotland. In shots of Kirk between Glasgow and Edinburgh. And the first one, I did, I give my testimony. And when the meeting was over, one of the elders in the church come to me. 
said, do you know the Reverend Sidney Martin that was in Bundoran that night? He's still living. He's 92. And he's just come out of hospital, but he's still living. I'm bringing you to see him tomorrow. Drove me down to the back of the Abrox football stadium in Glasgow and up in Bluey Tannen and Flatten. Knocked the door and this old lady was his wife in her 90s came out. She says Sidney's in the room but he's not able to get up. He's sitting on the side of the bed. He's just out of hospital. And I introduced myself to him. Do you know what he said? He said, I remember that night in Bundorn. The presence of the Lord came into that meeting and I knew something was done. He said, I preached coast to coast in America and all over Europe. I remember that night. And he didn't know anything about it. He closed his Bible the first time ever he was in Bundorn at that Whitson Convention. Closed his Bible and went back to Scotland. He was a lecturer in the Faith Mission College, went back to Scotland, knew nothing about it. Doesn't matter what we know, my friends. It's what God does. And I can tell you honestly tonight without blowing that there'll be thousands and thousands of souls in the glory because of Bundorn. How do you know? Well, I know from Pat's booklet, for she was only two years saved when she wrote the little booklet. I have a couple with me tonight here. When she wrote the little booklet, when real life began. And they're still printing it. After all these 50 years, it circulated the globe, prisons, Australia, different places, writing back, down deep in the south of Ireland, people getting saved through that little book. And with missions and with meetings and with all that goes out on the media, I'll tell you there'll be thousands in the glory because of Bundorn. For one day, Whitson, Whitson Pentecostal Sunday, God took a girl from a Catholic background that never heard the word saved and never was born again, you heard the word born again, never had a Bible as you heard her, never had a track. And on the night down to drink and to dance and carouse in Bundoran and in the Astoria ballroom, he pulled the chain, the rope, and suddenly God came. Suddenly. And what he has done for me, he can do for you. Tell me, are you saved tonight? Now, you can't fool about with this business. You can't tinker about with it. Are you ready if you were to die tonight? Oh, it's all right saying, oh, Pat, that's a powerful testament. Except a man be born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that farmer, Lord, will you do something? Pat didn't know the word saved. She didn't know the word born again. She says, Lord, I want something else. Are you content with what you have? May God help you to come. You know, Pat's father, in 1979, took cancer. We were living in Rich Hill and we were sent for to go to the hospital. 
And all the family were there. And they were all gathered round the bed for the doctors had told them he had just a day or two. And the mother, and I loved Pat's mother, she was a gracious. I tell you, she came to live with us afterwards. And Pat's mother said, we're going to have to sit with him, some of the family. And he looked straight in the eyes of Pat. She says, you and Bertie will not sit with him. So we travelled back to Rich Hill. He lived more than two days, let me tell you. And we came down, and every time we come down, there was some of the family with them. We came this evening, went into the side ward. There was nobody there. I'll never forget. He has his face turned towards the door. And ca- cancer marks all over a dying man who died the next day. He said to Pat, Pat, I'm dying. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Do you have any fear of dying? I tell you, if you're taken out tonight the way you are, you'll be in hell forever. Do you hear that now? Do you don't tell me that Jesus Christ sent his only son and stripped him naked and hung him on the cross and bludgeoned him and battered him and let the world spit on him for nothing? He did it because there was no other way to bring mankind back to God. And all you have to do tonight is say, Lord, I'm a sinner, save me. I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell. Well, if you don't, if you want to go to hell, go. Pat, I'm afraid, and I'm dying. You know what he said then? Pat, would you sing me a hymn? Pat sang to him. When the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. I could see his wee bony fingers. He was a very musical man. Could have played many instruments. I could see his wee bony fingers drumming on the bedclothes as she was singing. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Daddy, she said, you've no need to be afraid. Jesus Christ died for you to take away your sin. And she prayed a prayer and he, I could hear him, the last word I heard. That man that I knew from when I was a child. I heard him saying, Lord, Lord, come into my heart. next morning you've gone. I tell you he was the first of many converts or he was one of many converts for King Jesus. Will you come to him tonight? We'll help you. Pat and I, if you give us time we'll go to the door. Give us time to get to the door. And over in the tea room, wherever it is, we'll help you tonight to come to Christ. This is a lifeboat. And our business is to rescue the parish and care for the dying. And I'll tell you this, my friend, if it a hundred thousand lives, I'd throw them all at his feet tonight and give praise to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let us pray.
You've been very patient, very attentive. The Lord has been no doubt speaking. Just reflect. What has God wrought? What has God wrought? Well, it's nothing short of a miracle. Why have I found grace in thy sight, seeing I am a stranger? And to you, my friend, answer this. Where art thou in relation to what you've just heard? Father, bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen.